exceptionalism. So maybe maybe we just say like we read comics, we talk about comics, yeah, we talk about each other, yeah, oh yeah. We talk about our lives and, and our Justin. customers and Justin. <laughs> <It's a pretty laughs> um, also, we talk about the content of the comics. So they're going to get spoiled. But I wouldn't mind fluffing up those skeletons a little bit more. The, ske- the structure right, or right. skeleton of that intro. I mean, like, Pitch we me. Can, um, I mean, no, that was great. That was great. No, uh, no, I Hey, you welcome to episode 68 of the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast by the Comics Place in Bellingham, Washington, where every Tuesday we get a bunch of books, we sort them, we read them, we sell them, we come back here to talk about them together, a bunch of buddies. Um, there's spoilers, and no Justin. I'm Jeff, and Braden's not here, so I'm going to do my best to do some pun stuff. I'm Django, and Braden's not here, and Jeff's good at puns, and I hate puns. I'm shocked. What? I'm Roman. I'm stunned that Django hates puns. Yeah, Django totally likes puns. That, that can't be a That thing. was a bit, guys. Oh, fuck! Oh. Fuck, I just ruined the bit. <laughs> Dang. I've ruined well, I the ruined bit. the bit. I don't know. No, I was, no. was going to pretend I didn't get any of the puns that I rattled off. So. We're just experimenting with. You just did the fun. intro. Well, if Django did it right before me. Um, we're just trying to. Oh, we're each going to do an intro. Yeah, and th- for the sake of brevity, this and is this has undone the brevity, but for the sake of brevity, huh? We get comics. We love comics. We read comics. We review them for you. The end. We need to have Ryan do more intros. <laughs> well, you said intro. brevity. <laughs> Man, we could, like, we could go to bed early if Roman just. Did this podcast solo like that? I agree, but also we are Twister Romance. Awesome, Mother Panic Batman. Eh. <laughs> the end. <laughs> at home can't tell, but we're starting this podcast two hours later than a normal podcast. So and uh, no half early, a but... Dixie cup of wine in. Yeah. Django. Thank you, you guys. To your first wine night. Thanks, guys. Is this how you talk on wine it's nights? All, it's all low, sort of. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, I love, it, the andro- I love the androgyny in our voices right now. <laughs> You're the perfectly <laughs> You sound like my stuffed bear, Barry. <laughs> what, your stuffed bear talks to you? Yeah, Sam and I have personalities for all of our stuffed animals, of which there are many, and Barry, the most recent stuffed animal. Because um, he's a bear? Yep. That, see, that's why Jeff's the pun guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hear that, Braden? I'm the pun guy. But no, that bear laughs like this. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. I could call Sam right now, and she would do a great impersonation of it. We won't do it. We're going to talk about X-Men Red, number one. Uh, we're also going to talk about Batman, number 40. Uh, we're going to talk about Milk Wars, part two, which is Mother Panic and Batman. We're going to talk about Twisted Romance, number one, probably first. Let's talk about Swamp <laughs> Thing, winter special, number one. I don't believe this is the first winter special, but maybe. Mm. This is the first Swamp Thing winter special. And Rock Candy Mountain number eight, which is the last issue. I think we should also talk about Versus number one. And Black Bolt number ten. Oh. Jesus. Okay, now let's shuffle them up. Jeff, you have a, yep. like a... <laughs> there it is. The MIDI sound of a deck shuffling. There it is. You're, you're the that. pun guy and the mouth foley guy. I cannot wait for Brayden to hear about how I'm the pun guy now. <laughs> I love it. Um, that's very 
punny of you. <laughs> uh-huh. Brayden, I miss you. Oh, God. Okay. Um, <laughs> Twisted Roman, number Twisted one. Twisted Katie Skelly, Alex DeCampi, Sarah Horrocks, and Megan Cubid. Here's the first thing for me. Yes. I, at, at Jeff's behest, yeah. I photoshopped Roman's face onto this cover oh, yeah. and changed it to Twisted Roman from oh, Twisted yeah. Romance, right? And then I posted it on our Facebook page. Sure. And I tagged those four creators on our post. And they probably will never talk to us for any reason. <laughs> sure. So, listen, yeah, I think that, that picture you generated um, is, I mean, that was the hardest I've laughed in a week or two. <laughs> I, I I felt really, really happy that you were laughing that hard. I, I thought that was the best. Um, nothing is better than the twisted romance <laughs> life of Roman. And uh, that, so listen, if you have not seen it, that's going to be the picture of this episode of the podcast. But oh, go yeah. on and find it. Sweet. Oh, yeah. Twisted romance. You know, it was really fun, too, because... Yeah. You guys did that while we were up here pulling the books yesterday morning and filling the subscriber files. And I worked my shift here, and then I went to the museum. And in all that time, the six or seven hours, I forgot that that had happened. (laughs) (laughs) So once I got home and settled in, read a few comics, and then I got on Facebook finally, started checking my notifications. I was like, I have like 60 notifications on here. And I found that one. Busted up. It was beautiful. Was that the first time I was like, oh my God, that was the first time I'd seen it because I personally didn't look at it in the morning. That's satisfying. So, yeah, I rediscovered the whole thing. So, this is like uh, an indie comic that seems like it would have been before my time. It felt like. Indy? We named the dog Indy. (laughs) I don't get it. Oh my God. But is that an Indiana Jones? (laughs) You don't get it. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, his dad says it. Uh, I don't know. Um, (laughs) An ongoing thing in his podcast is me confessing how long it's been since I've seen that movie. And that was an awful Sean Connery. It felt like a Hernandez Brothers book, like the art did. I don't really know what this style of the Rich Tommaso, like spicy old dark corridor. It's like super indie to like the point where it almost looks like high school person doodles, but at the same time, there's some pretty advanced, like, comic booking storytelling. Uh, yeah. Even on the first page, I love that, like, in a city of seven million lonely souls, uh, there are hundreds of businesses dedicated to bringing people together, and it's got a bridge, a flower store, a taxi cab, she's using makeup, which is an wow. essential like, Everything about that strengthens that. I read this issue twice, because I read it once from the viewpoint of just reading the book, and then I read it a second time pretending that both protagonists were Roman. Um... <laughs> Just to see and listen, you guys, I want to tell you. Did you feel yes. like this deeply resonated with your romance life of romancing the stone? Oh, every story in every way, yes. <laughs> I've gotten rid of a few. I shouldn't even say that. Never mind. Um, I was going to make some dumb joke about the the ending here, how he gets rid of Esther. Is that her name, Esther? Yeah. Uh, the first story, you know, I like the first, I like the idea of the first story. Mm-hmm. I like the... Maybe vampires, maybe actually incubus and succubus. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I refer to that. Um, and it seems. And is this going to be an uh, ongoing? An, oh, one of four. It's a four issue mini. So I wonder if we get to see these characters again in the next issue. Yeah, well, they're definitely going to be illustrated differently. So yeah. it's it's going to be very different. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's a weird book. You know, the vibe that it gave me was like. Justin and Braden are really into like Saturday morning cartoons and like comic books that are of that that type of Saturday morning cartoon vibe. And this was like my kind of Saturday morning cartoon book where like usually Saturday morning cartoons are kind of rooted in the in adventure and this was just like really quick short angsty personal story in a colorful and light fashion. Like it was just like right to the meat of a weird sort of relationship issues. I don't know, it, it was sort of like the 
romance equivalent of a Saturday morning adventure cartoon to me. Like a sort of perverse, weird, like we can get in, it's about sex and corruption and murder and vampires, and then we're out. So um, I've been watching BoJack Horseman. I know. Uh, I, I and keep hearing the word BoJack. I like BoJack you. a lot. It puts me to sleep real fast, but I, I enjoy everything about it. The, the second to last episode of the fourth season, I watched a lot of it over and over and over because I kept falling asleep. Um, and at some point, like seven attempts in, I realized that it was written to be like a play. So the dialogue is a little bit stilted, and the scenes are kind of static, um, and the whole thing it, it sounds like uh, like like an old play set in the twenties. And I got the feeling that this book is doing something similar, where they have kind of modern modern story in kind of an older style. If that makes sense, this this made me think of something that could have been published by Piranha Press in the mm -hmm. late '80s, early '90s. I mean, I don't know if the book itself was as good as the bit, you know, Roman Twisted Rome Dog, um, <laughs> but uh, I like the idea of it. And uh, Roman's uh, herring romantic night nightmare tales, as erotic as Her they herring harrowing. Oh, I'm talking about Harry, not talking about the fish. No, no. I'm not good for slapping around. But, um. All right, so we got a million books to read what? and talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did Roman, you, did you want to touch it? Did you guys read? I really like the Leather and Lace. That's I my favorite story in here, the text piece, because it involved Wendigos. Mm. It's a gay love story with Wendigos. Mm. Huh. And I love Wendigos. I did not read that. I did read the flip book. Um, that was an interesting. That one did not resonate with me. It was an yeah, interesting no, counterpoint like the art, to the but... first story, because, and I, I, kind of like the art i didn't understand what was going on but yeah it was cool i like the whole idea of this book it's and that format having a upside down story in the back with the, the kind of weird twisted roman ants yeah. it really, underneath it really reminded me upside of like down. high school love i don't know how to describe it, but just like the way language was used in the whole issue on like mm -hmm. the two stories of the three that i read like it just sort of reminded me of the way that I felt about romance and lost love and that sort of stuff when I was young. What do you give it? I give this um, I'm pretty high. I'm going to give it an eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I look forward to it. I look really look forward to the second issue. I really like that artist. I like that. I don't know how each of these is going to be related. I don't know if we're looking at a Cloverfield, Cloverfield Lane, Cloverfield Purgatory or whatever that new one was. But Paradox. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. You know, I don't know how related they'll be. But I would love to see more of this uh, swaggy cocaine doing sort of transy vampire character that I read as Roman. Uh, I'm gonna give it a seven. Not quite my thing, um, but really close. Like I'm, I'm not gonna drop off of this because I I feel like it's gonna it's gonna scratch my itch. Yeah. Before this series, and Jango's an itchy, itchy boy. I am so itchy. <laughs> so itchy. I need, I need to be scratched, Jeff. Dude, we sell itching powder here, which I That's thought would have been I'm itchy. fun <laughs> as a kid, but as an adult who gets itchy, like if anyone put itching powder on me and I was itchy for several hours, I would have to leave work. I would have to go take a shower, and I would be fucking pissed all day. I make my own. Dead skin, dead Django skin. Just, oh. just like I shave fiberglass off of fancy cars. Is that uh, what you call the, the dead skin on the bottom of your feet? Ooh, no. Roman, what do you give Twisted Roman? I'll give it 
well, I'll give it a 10 for that name. Yeah. But I'll give the book <laughs> itself a 7. Okay. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next issue. This is this is strange and interesting and bizarre. So let's hop on this segue. Oh, but I have a pun. Fuck, man. <laughs> that's Jeff's job. Oh, that's your I job. Never mind. Pun never, okay, yeah, whisper, never mind. Whisper it to him. Right. And I'll, I was I'll, in the I'll, middle I'll of a segue segue. Oh! <laughs> segue and writing right over to Mother Panic Batman Milk Wars Part 2. That's how segues work, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Man. A lot of times I feel like it's my job to ruin the segues before they happen. <laughs> but we're down a man tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you feel like we I ever had, get I had itchy, together? I, had, I didn't did know you were going to do a segway because I, I had a segue involving itchy powder to get into this. Do you want to do it? Because we are there now. All right, yeah, let's do it. Well, you see, itchy powder, like when I accidentally eat it, I drink a bunch of milk to soothe the itchiness. And that that that's what Milk Wars is about. That was killer, dude. <laughs> we are here now in the Milk Wars, part two. Um, this is the Mother Panic Batman version, um, where basically you got Batman re- leading a church of children who are being brainwashed to serve the Overlord Milk community. And apparently, this parallels basically Mother Panic's origin, which I haven't been reading that book, but she's from what sounds like a school for children that was being mm-hmm. abused or brainwashed or something, so this basically construes her origin with a milky Batman equivalent. Yeah, but with like a fixed up school that I think she burned down early yeah. on or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, this this is uh, okay. <laughs> this was, so, man, I... In reading this, it sort of made me reevaluate the first issue of this miniseries, and I love the art of that person, but I do think the art was one of the big reasons that made it so hard to follow what was going on. Because it was so zoomed in? Yeah, or just, it was it was so busy, and it was so stylistic that it didn't actually maximize storytelling, mm-hmm. whereas this is a lot more simplistic, and at first, I, I didn't like the art, and it's... It lacks detail and it lacks the ability to like convey facial expression subtly. I think, yep. but it does. I, it it gives you, it creates a, a framework for everything to be pretty accurately represented. Like uh, I got what was going on all the time. Yeah, I wasn't lost for a single minute in here. Um, I was a little bit bored. At some points. Yeah, and I was end. never bored reading that other one, even right. though I was lost most of the time. And usually that's a deal breaker for me. That's, that's what um, good art can do. <laughs> yeah. It can definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really like the setup of Batman being uh, kind of a priest, Father Bruce, uh, to all these little Robin hooligans yeah. with different weapons, including, I think, a, a trident from uh, Aquaman. Oh, yeah. And I didn't get a lot of the symbolism. I also didn't try to get a lot of the symbolism. But I thought that the transformation from Father Bruce into Batman was really well done. That was hilarious. Um, yeah. I, this, this feels like a spinoff of a big event to me. And a pretty good one. Yeah, but it did feel like more related than oftentimes other spinoffs are. It, it felt... Yeah, I don't know. It felt integral, but... At the same time, we only really need to... I don't know. I, I've got weird feelings about it. I'll, I'll read the rest of it. I like it. It's fun. Yeah. It's playful. I liked it more than the Mother Panic issues that I've read. It's hard to say. I, I, 
enjoyed the act of reading this one about as much as the last one, but I feel like I understood it more, but the art was less gratifying. So yeah. it was it's a, it's a weird blend of, I think the storytelling worked better, but I would rather look at interesting things that don't nail the landing. What'd you think, Romy? I was bored. Mm. Um, not familiar at all with Mother Panic. The art, yeah, it was okay. I mean, yeah, it was pretty straightforward, which I found boring. I liked Bruce, Bruce Batman. I just now noticed that the cross over the altar is a great big bat instead of Jesus. <laughs> now, that's hilarious. That's now my favorite thing in the book, which I didn't even notice when I read it yesterday. Um, but overall, I was like, eh, this, I suspect this will be the weakest part of Milk Wars for me because I just, I was trying to finish it so I could have it for the podcast. And um, I was, I'm also wondering, why does Mother panic? Why does she look like a fox? Or is she supposed to be a bat? <sighs> These are the deep and the hard-hitting <laughs> questions. I'm also not a Mother Panic expert, Roman. Ah, okay. Uh, so that's Mother Panic by Jody Hauser, Ty Templeton, Karen Smith, Magdalene Visaggio, and Sonny Liu. Uh, what do you give it, Jeff? Um, I want to give that one a seven. I was like, man, that's bad art. And then Django flipped through it, and I had that moment where, like, oh, this is a this is this is art that is good that I don't get that Django reminds me is good. I'm going to give it a six and a half. Uh, I'm not sad I read it, but I didn't love it. Roman? I will give it a five. It was perfectly acceptable. All right. (laughs) All right. Do we want to just skip the segue and go straight into Batman? Stay with Batman here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tom King, Joel Jones, and Jordi Belair. Yeah. Man, you see those three names on a cover? You know it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. So last time we saw Batman and Wonder Woman, they were in an alternate dimension fighting the hordes, uh, the unending hordes, for a dude named the Gentleman mm-hmm. who wanted to come to Earth to talk to his girlfriend. His his destiny is to fight these hordes and keep them from destroying everything. And what Batman and Wonder Woman didn't know at the time was that time moves differently there. And so while this guy was hanging out with Catwoman like having dinner and thinking about going to try to find his wife to say hi. Um, Ten years passed for Batman and Wonder Woman. And at the end of the book, they were around a fire on a rare break from fighting the hordes, and they leaned in to kiss each other, and Twitter went just batshit. No pun intended. Um, And uh, it's no wonder why. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy, that was fucking good. That was a killer. So Twitter went crazy because it looked like Batman was about to kiss Wonder Woman, and A, they should never have a relationship, according to Twitter, and B, uh, Batman can't cheat on Catwoman. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, kind of assumptions in there by, by the people who are mad about it. And this issue, we find out that they don't actually kiss. They don't actually kiss. They hang out on this world for what ends up totaling 37 years. They're very uh, adult about it. They're very adult. She's like, you got to be a good boy. And he's like, I got to be a good boy. I got to be a better boy. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, the gentleman opens it up and they come back to our world. And and it was a real nice two-issue story. That the issue or page two and three were one of the most gorgeous double-page spreads I've seen in comic books ever. Yeah. The them sitting yeah. by the fire, but only silhouetted by, silhouetted by the flames of like their illuminated. Oh, it's it is a gorgeous page. I can't imagine how she painted that. 
absolutely one of the most amazing like fire light shots I've seen. So that's, that's yeah, incredible. and it continues on the next two pages. Just the way their faces are lit and. It's it's deceptively simple art because like the look, like the tiny little smile on one woman's face here when they both start kind of laughing, mm-hmm. realizing how ridiculous this is and the changes in her expression. And then on these four panels, on the next page, beautifully yeah. done. And so, their body language, the way they're still yeah. like, he's leaning into her touching forehead still and they're thinking, no, this is, we can't. Joel is, is good. Tom King is good. He, like, I haven't seen an artist that I think he doesn't, work well with but there are a couple that he just knocks it right out of the park and it's like joel jones and mitch mitch garrett's and uh he killed janin his, his yeah janin janin's solid um i really like the scene 31 years into batman and wonder woman hanging out where he's like i miss my dog yeah and she <laughs> says i miss my kangaroo and there's just a panel and then he says you have a kangaroo she says, i don't talk about it he says okay and then they don't talk about it for a panel and then she says its name is Jumpa. She sounds nice. <laughs> she does. And I love the fact that Tom King brought him back this stupid golden age thing where she had a kangaroo for some reason. Mm. Named Jumpa. Yeah. So used to that's ride a Braden can- name right Because I used to combat in kang- kangaroos sometime for fun on the, Paradise Island. The question this is brings, brings up for me is now is Batman 37 years older? No, I was thinking about that. But like, when, you, get- when you look at the way that they're drawn, they're not aging. Okay. So yeah. they're aging in Earth time. Uh, I, I love, in every issue of the Batman, I love all these little human moments. Tom, Tom King. I mean, when they're in the middle of a battle and they're making fun of their buddy Superman, mm-hmm. yeah. that was great. Well, and, and this, like, the whole thing is kind of an allegory for, hey, I'm on a business trip, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Batman's basically in another zip code, so he can totally cheat on Catwoman, right? But no, because he's a good guy. And I love, I love that she's like, were you a good boy for 37 years with one woman? He was like, I could have been better. And she's like, well, be better. And he's yeah. like, I will. It was like a, what, a, what a phenomenal relationship balance that he struck. And it is yeah. an absolute shame that it will not last because it can't last. Yeah. But I really think we're lucky to get this for as long as we're going to be getting it. And uh, who is Lee Weeks is going to be joining Batman for a while leading oh, up to? Oh, that'll be cool. The, the wedding? wedding, yeah. So the wedding on 4th of July, or yeah, 4th of July, Batman issue 50. 50. Yeah. Oh, I, want to, I want to read that now. Me too. Yeah. I give this a, a nine. I think Joelle Jones has done some awesome art, but I do think my maybe my favorite stuff she's done is her work with this Tom King Batman. I'm really glad that she's on a, a book of this profile. I'm going to give it a nine also. Uh, I'm going to give it an extra half point, though. I'm going to give it a nine and a half because of the way that they handled the explosion of stupid readers getting mad at something before it's over. Yeah. Like, this is a better cliffhanger than Batman falling off of a roof or the Joker about to tear, tear Robin's oh, arm for sure. off. Or, like, there's there's no peril you could put Batman in at this point that would get people as twisted up as Batman almost kissing Wonder Woman right. when he's dating Catwoman. Like, really well done. They handled it really well. <laughs> As a package and as a meta package, nine and a half. Yep, yep, nine and a half for me too. Um, speaking of entitlement, did you guys read the Swamp Thing Winter Special? Yeah, let's talk about Human <laughs> Moments by Tom King again. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> this is just a little string of. Uh, this, this is like. Uh, nope, it's gone. I had to text Justin <laughs> as soon as I finished this. I read this in the dark in the shop alone this morning. At like eight thirty, <laughs> and then like just sort of sat there for a minute afterwards because it's a real heavy book. Yeah, this was, this was so good. Beautiful art too. Yeah, um, <clears throat> so good. Did Not it 
feel like I haven't read original Swamp Thing stuff, but it definitely looks like the art was supposed to be pretty original Swamp Thing. Yeah, it felt like a original Swamp Thing. It read like uh, kind of reminiscent of Alan Moore, Rick Veach, Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Getting back into those, which I which I'm glad to see because I love that. So the story is Swamp Thing's carrying a kid through the snow. That's the whole story, and there's so much more there. Yeah, yeah. He's being tortured by... They're trying to escape from something. We don't know what. The kid keeps telling them they're being followed by this winter snow demon as they're walking through the snow. And, and he, keeps... he almost beat him. Yeah, it just happened this morning. And he's like, I can't remember. And, and he keep... this child keeps telling him. And uh, ultimately, Swamp Thing realizes... I don't know if we should spoil it, but... Uh, it's spoilers. Swamp Thing realizes the child is the snow demon. And he's he's about to die because he doesn't have any snow and he's got or sun, he's got no connection to the green, so then he murders this child and then the snow melts and it's more than anything about to me the the fact that Swamp Thing views himself as a monster and throughout this book the child views him as a monster and then views him as a hero, but then he has to cut off his freezing foot, so he's a monster again, but he keeps saving him so then he's a hero and and all of that time, Swamp Thing sort of walks around with his own perception of the fact that he's a monster. And at the end of this, he needed to kill this kid who, yeah, was the bad guy. And so, yeah, he did the heroic, heroic thing, which was beat the bad guy. But it also was... The bad was, guy is just like a nine-year-old boy. Yeah. So, like, to me, it was just this really interesting conversation about what, uh, how we feel about ourselves versus how other people see us and... Uh, Sometimes, no matter how much good we do, we always just consider ourselves monsters, and it's just I, it, it just it's amazing. And there's the, like, there's actually a Chekhov's gun moment in here, where he's got the, he beats the bear by stabbing him with his chest, uh-huh. and that's how he ends up killing the monster in the end. Yeah, by just like a little kid-sized stab through the chest. It's, um, the bear death was really brutal as well, though. Like great. the way Swamp Thing says, like. Sorry, you got to take the long way home, and you're gonna go back to the green, and I'll be there, and then I'll I'll guide you home. And it's- yeah, and I love that he does apparently does that little speech every time he kills somebody because mm-hmm. he tells that that hunter or whoever he was later mm-hmm. the same thing. I was like, oh god. So two of my favorite parts in this, like bombastic non um, swamp thing parts, uh, where he tears his hand off. Oh my to make god. A fire. That was so gross. That was so good. Yeah, um, and this is this is Lee Weeks, right? This is or, uh, this Jason Fabok. Len Wein. Fabok. Oh, yeah. He did the. God, I keep the getting Dark Lee Side Weeks and, and Len Wein confused, mm. and I'm glad they're not both dead. I guess. <laughs> um, okay. Well. Yeah, we can cut that out, right? Like, I think it's cute. Let's, let's fix that in post. Let's look at how much time. That shit let's out. see how much we need to get out of the podcast. <laughs> uh, that, and then the, there's a scene where Swamp Thing has made himself into a bridge for the kid. Hmm. And that, there's a certain feeling I get when I think about reading the bridge to Terabithia and crying myself hoarse yeah. while I'm reading the end of it. And that that shot, for some reason, like this... Big old elemental dude helping out this little kid was really, really. That's nice. what's fucking great about <clears throat> comic booking because in one panel, like that created a, a huge amount of context. Like yeah. it's this, it's like a small one eighth of the page, and he's just got his arms spread across a canyon, and the kid's walking over his shoulder. But like 
it it shows you leading up to that moment. It shows you after that moment. It shows you Swamp Thing's power extending his arms. It shows the trust they have. The trust there, like everything. Like that's what I love about comics is that in one image, without using text, it, you you generate a huge amount of story and context, and and there's just not another thing that does that. So I'm gonna make a prediction. Yeah, I predict that. Of the rest of this book, this is an 80-page giant. That yeah. was only like the first six, 40 pages, yeah. 30, 40 pages. I'm going to predict that Jeff didn't read anything after that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to predict that Django stopped after the pretty drawings. And I'm going to predict that Roman read the entire Len Wein script after Kelly Jones's drawings. And I, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's accurate. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, mean, I, I mean, it kind of skimmed. I know you guys pretty good. I read it alone in the morning here. (laughs) So, yeah, so the first half of the book is Tom King and Jason Fabok, and then the last half is the last Swamp Thing story that Len Wein wrote. Uh, Kelly Jones penciled and inked it, and then they didn't give it the word balloons or any of the text because Len Wein didn't finish writing the script. So instead, they published the script after what was going to be the first issue of a longer series by Len Wein and Kelly Jones. And, God, Kelly Jones is good. God, I'm glad there's some Kelly Jones Batman in there. Nobody does yeah. Batman yeah. like Kelly Jones. Really cool. And Michelle Madsen, like, the colors in this. Kelly Jones can kind of bore me as good as he is, but when he's colored well, it's holy shit good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his, be- his best thing's there. I love it when he... The way he draws Swamp Thing when he's growing or degrowing into a pot, just because it's so uniquely monstrous. Yeah. Nobody else does a monster growth like that. I would give um, this book a nine, and based on the first half, and then I'm going to say that everything else that's in here above that is just like icing on the cake. I'm going to give it a nine, too, and that. That's a weird, slow, heartfelt story that I wouldn't normally have the patience to read. So, well done, Tom King. So you and enjoy when your heart is touched. Listen, I, <laughs> I don't like anybody to know that I like warm cockles, okay, Jeff? Uh, yeah, and thanks for creating Swamp Thing, Len Wein, even if you stole it from the guy that created Man Thing. And if you both stole it from a guy that created something Concrete. else similar. I'll give it a 10. Yeah. Because I loved this really. issue. He said, like, you're an idiot. Yeah. Uh, he just <laughs> no, sits there to, patiently and lets to say us that way. wax poetic with our um. nines. And he's like, <laughs> let me whip my giant 10 out. <laughs> oh, man. Um, first story, definitely. Loved that. I mean, the whole thing, It my favorite run is, oh, God, it's hard to say. I love the Len Wein, Bernie Wrightson Swamp thing, the original. But I love the Alan Moore stuff. And then I think it was Rick... Veach, Stephen Bissett followed him. Yep. Veach writing it. And yeah, when Swamp Thing was basically a god at some points, he could travel to other planets just by casting his consciousness out into space and inhabiting flora on other planets. Um, and this harkens back to that a little bit. I mean, it gets back to Grant Morrison introduced to comics the morphogenetic field, which is the red in Animal Man because we're all animals, and the contrast with the green, and all, hints of all that. The art's beautiful. I love the fact that, for me, the, the monster is fear. Um, mm-hmm. it ending it, beginning it with that sports broadcast, and the broadcasters oh, are making fun of that poor athlete because he like broke down, and he's talking about fear and doubt, which is the same thing. I, mean, I love that. 
This is it's so good. This is jeez. Read it. The best comic this week. And that's against Batman, which was also the best comic this week. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to bring us just softly into this sort of mutogenetic field instead of morphogenetic <laughs> field. Good one, Braden Figley. Man. Excellent <laughs> ride, you guys. We got Tom Taylor, Mahmoud Asarar, and Eve Shvarsina. Uh This book follows uh, Phoenix Resurrection. Jean Grey's got her own X-Men team. The art was pretty good. It looks a little bit Lanille Francis Yui at times. Um, what about the costumes? The costumes are terrible, Django. Uh, listen, I think we all know the big problem about this book is that the cover was the back of previews and the cover <laughs> of Marvel previews for like months, and it's been floating around the store, so nothing about it felt new or special. Marvel, looking at you, save some images, make them special. Fix it. Um, yeah. But spoilers. Uh, well, so... Gene goes to the UN and basically wants all of mutant kind recognized as its own nation. And then they're like, well, why don't you go have your own spot? And she's like, every time all of us mutants go to a single place, you just kill us. So we would like to be able to have a vote, but we don't want to all need to be corralled into a single location. And then um, Black Panther and somebody else in the UN stands up and they're like, we recognize mutants as a nation. And so that's really cool. And then the woman who's sort of leading this panel goes out afterwards and she's like, nice job, Jean. And then she starts acting real mean and then her head blows up and it looks like Jean blew her head up. But actually, we find out that Cassandra Nova. Wow. Sh- old. She's around again? Old Charles Xavier's twin Danger? sister that died in the womb, um, introducing Grant Morrison's run, is back. And above all, um, there is a moment where a young girl starts becoming a mutant, and Jean Grey and her team of superheroes shows up, and she takes them all t- away. And when it, she looks up, she's like, where are we? That's a shark. And she says, this is C- Cerebro. And it's spelled <laughs> S-E-A-R-E-B-R-O. So it's Cerebro under the water, so it's Cerebro. And I have very mixed feelings about that. Do you think that when they want to turn, like, when, when they have a question, they say, hey, Cerebro, what kind of shark is that? And then the building says, here's what I found on Google. Yeah, but it's all in Charles Xavier's voice. Here's what I found on Google. Uh, Here's what I found on Google? Wow. Why not? We have different voices in our heads for Charles Xavier. I'm just being wine night Charles Xavier. I can't move my legs. (laughs) (laughs) Even after all this time and all this telepathy. Although about 30% of the time I can walk just fine. It's brain power. I would give this issue a 7.5. I liked it pretty well. I would really like to like an X-Men book. Um, I like this team. I like the creative team. It's got a unique voice. I'm excited to see what happens. What do you guys got? You got a couple non-Jeff books. Well, I uh, I got Versus by Yvonne Brandon and Isad Ribic. Ivan Brandon? Yvonne. He's he's got an accent over it. Ribic. Ribic. You both read it, right? Yeah, I read it. Yeah. What did you think, Roman? Because I I am... I, <laughs> um, my summation was I would be totally into watching this movie. I'm not into reading it. I was confused a couple times. I was like, wait, I thought that was the other dude. I, yeah, I, it was hard to follow. I mean, I love his four-armed battle armor thing is cool. But yeah, so, I'd rather watch the movie. So the story is, it seems to be that there's like... Um, God, I don't. I, Elevator, pitch me this series. You guys, what's this book about? Uh, 
football, but more gladiatorial um, murder, death, kill, and you blink into the arena to fight people. So there's you got a bunch of people fighting, and it's right? like live television. That, that sounds like a pretty good, from what I understood, a pretty good summation. Yeah, and it's it's beautiful. Like this is this is some of some of the best art and colors that I've seen, especially like the way that the so the the whole thing is kind of lit in blue, and the main character is uh, I think blue skinned, and he's got this yellow visor, and the way the colors interact on that, and um, like the cityscapes. It's it's an amazing book. It it pulls you into that world really well. But I think I think Roman hit the space nail on the sci-fi head with that comment that it would be better as a movie or a TV show. Yeah, because yeah, really... some scenes I didn't quite understand the art, but other ones like when like his final match, he uh, when his opponent and him stab each other, uh-huh. and just the way his opponent reached up, and I didn't even see it at first, notice it at first, and he like slashes the side of his neck and realize and and then the guy reacts to that i didn't realize that slash had happened at first i had to go back and that was pretty amazing yeah though i didn't understand why he got a penalty for why the victor you think gets a penalty for that yeah yeah it was it was kind of confusing i he's got a really solid sci-fi feel there's just something about this book that lost me Hmm. uh i'm gonna give it a seven and a half by the next issue i could see it being up to an eight if if something grabs me a little bit better? I'll give it a six. I don't know if I'm going to read the next issue. I probably will. I'm curious enough. Speaking of books Jeff didn't read. Are there any books Jeff didn't read? What didn't Jeff read? <laughs> he didn't read Rock Candy Mountain. Issue Jeff? number Seriously? Ten, eight. I haven't read the whole <clears throat> second half of the series. Oh, you haven't? I read, oh. I read oh. the whole first trade. Uh, it's well and, worth it. Uh, <laughs> it's good. I think this issue is way better than the last issue. Yeah. And uh, this this series has never really fallen down to bad, uh, but I wasn't impressed with the last couple issues like I was with the first few. Uh, this this one makes everything everything worth it. Good for them for just getting a nice ten issue thing out or eight issue like bam you can yeah. put this in a nice hardcover. It wasn't like hey you're selling a lot let's get this thing ongoing. Like I really like when a book is just. Good and concise. This guy did the art in Rick and Morty last week. He wrote oh. and drew it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, like I, I just I'm glad that it doesn't feel like somebody succeeded and they immediately were like, "Here, work till you're dead." And this issue <laughs> actually has uh, has some cool stuff like the Hawkman or Hawk the Hawk, slowed down Hawk Hawk guy. Hawk. What are you talking about? Fractions Hawk guy. Hawk man. Hawk guy. Hawk guy. Hawk guy. I, I kept hearing you say hot guy. Hot dad. <laughs> hot dad. Uh, yeah, it's it's got some some sign language uh, from a uh, deaf character who I, th- I I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, good butt jokes. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and a good wrap-up to the whole thing. There, there was some phrase in here. I, I'm not, not going to find it. I don't, uh, I don't remember the butt jokes. There's always butt jokes in here. Something Django, about sticking the spear up your butt. Django, if he just sees butts or lower halves, or if there's just several panels without jokes, he makes up that there were butt jokes. You can't sucker punch the devil, asshole. Nine for the book, nine and a half for the series. Did you construe that as a butt joke? No. Okay. I'm Somebody just says they're gonna stick the spear of destiny up a butt. Okay, I was just curious where you were, you know, like where you draw the line on a butt joke. If and the word is a- asshole is used, is it a butt joke? Depends. Butt joke. 
<laughs> when I was in high school, my best buddy and I, uh, we wore Depends diapers underneath our outfits, and they were the ones that have like elastic straps for like adults. So we we elastic to the sides and pulled them up really high because that was when thongs were like becoming real popular. So people would pull their thongs up out the side of their pants so you could see that they had thongs pulled up. So we had <laughs> Depends diaper straps. It was a pretty good taste. <laughs> Roman, if you had to give this guy a number, what would it be? I, that, that, that totally threw me. Now two? I can think about huh? his Japanese Doogie Joe? Just depends. Yeah. Yeah. Number two. <laughs> right. Sorry. Oh man. I'm not pun guy today. I'm just Django guy. <laughs> <laughs> that sign language moment he was talking about. I just this is my favorite phrase. Maybe in a book this week. If you get the chance to punch the devil, you take it. Yeah. Mm. That was his justification for for fighting the devil. Wow. This is a great issue. Beautiful resolution for our main character. I'll give this a mm-hmm. nine. Mm. What about the series? The whole series? I think yeah. I'll give the whole series a 9.5, maybe yeah. a 10, but yeah, the last couple issues were kind of weak. It's, but it, they're still, they're, this series' version of weak is far and above most books. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm going to just really quickly talk about Black Bolt. Black Blackest cool. Boltus? Blackest Boltus by Sal- uh, Blackagar Boltagon. There it is. Yep. Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward and Stephanie Hans. I did not realize while reading it that Stephanie Hans did several pages in the middle, so um, there was an art shift. Really nice job for keeping it seem pretty in style. Um, this is really good. Every time I have this book come out, I think I'm excited to read it, and then I get home, and I'm always just irrationally exhausted on Tuesday. And... Uh, and so things can feel a little bit more like work than they would at other times. But this, as soon as I got into it, it it just immediately becomes contender for pick of the week every time it comes out. But uh, I'm not sure if it happened in Inhuman's in Judgment Day, which was a one-shot that came out a few weeks ago. But this basically ties in to um, Black Bolt walking on a sort of projection of a beach endlessly with Medusa, who he hasn't seen for a really long time. They've been separated for you know, probably like the last year, two yeah, years in comic books. Yeah. Um, she was with Johnny Storm. And and I just love the way Saladin wrote. He writes Black Bolt as a silent character, so the narration is, is almost half Black Bolt's speech. But the way that he's able to convey Black Bolt's thoughts about such a really profound moment, in, you know, in the form of walking down the beach with your ex-girlfriend or ex-wife, you know, um, he talks about that they walked until they had blisters on their feet and they talked about all sorts of things and then he realizes that he can speak and one of the first things he says is, do you still love me? And uh, it's just, I love people coming to terms with old relationships in their life and how do you still make them be a part of your life? And, um, you know, Medusa says like, well, we can't go back. And, and he says like, yeah, we can't go back. So let's go forward. And, and I love that idea of like two people who used to be in a relationship no longer being in a relationship but moving forward together and not being allowed to put labels of any type on it. We're not not together. We're not together. We're just going forward, so let's not say anything. Um, it illustrates a real subtle aspect of life and relationships, uh, and it just did it beautifully. This book, the art is just psychedelic and trippy and... He has just consistently found ways to humanize these characters 
Um, I think that this book is one of the finest instances of a novelist writing a comic book. And mm. the strength of what a novel can do is put into this while also maximizing what comics can do. So really fucking good book. I give uh, this single issue a nine. I really don't read that many books I don't like. <laughs> so a lot of high scores this Sorry week. if the podcast is boring. Even we when like I, the comics we read. Even when I don't like a book, it's usually like a five or six because it's, I don't know. I think that it's our job as human beings to be trying to find what's good in a thing and then realizing that maybe it's just not for you. Um, so yeah, sorry my ratings don't usually vary, you know, more between a five well, that, and a nine. That's fine. You read good I mean, comics. I just also yeah. work hard to not, not, not like things. We gr- and we read good comics and, you know, I didn't care for the mother panic issue but i can appreciate you know i can't do that these people created this work of art and yeah. didn't work for me but so what yeah. <laughs> that's no reason to denigrate it uh, yeah is there well roman you 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 do your little black bolt thing and then then i got a question for us yeah oh, I we got time um, we do well jeff you said that so beautifully yeah that was every issue this is so good the art's beautiful that moment the moments with him and medusa moving forward that was so realistic and so mature mm-hmm. and you don't see that kind of relationship it was so touching because black bolt talks about how maybe for the first time in this series black bolt is thinking a lot about how he's broken yeah and how you keep moving forward despite that and whatever's broken can be can be restored and the way that like because that relationship is broken and he's they talk at one point where it says like black bolt would have maybe at first evaluated this circumstance um under the context of royal justice Mm -hmm. but he's no longer that person and now he views it under you know, relationships lost. Like, the way that they use narration to really concise words to convey drastic character growth. Like, that, yeah. 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 That was, that's, yeah. Um, I, I don't read this book, but I just flipped through it when you guys were talking. Yeah. And the expressions in that look whole, like Mitch Mitch Garrett's level like of subtle. subtlety yeah. and, and conveying exactly what somebody is feeling at that moment. It's damn good. And I read that beach scene and almost started crying. It's damn good. And I don't give yeah. a shit about any of those characters, and that's some good shit right So there. what were you going to say, Jen? I want to I wanna know. Well, let's get, let's get a score from okay, Roman. Okay, Roman, score me. Rate me and then the book. Um, <laughs> wait, rate you? I'll give you a... Careful. Uh, 12. Oh! Oh! <laughs> And Titania is a real character in here for the first time ever in Marvel Comics. Yeah, she's the girlfriend so, yeah. of Crusher Creel. Yeah. yeah, she's so likable. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I'll give this. I'll give this issue a. This is gonna be a nine for me too. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. maybe an eight, eight, eight and a half. Yeah, because yeah. it's because Swamp Thing. I think I gave a nine, and I think you gave it a ten. Oh, I did give it a ten. Okay, yeah. okay, this is a nine. Go back yeah. to nine. <laughs> I mean, look at the look on Black Bolt's face when Medusa says that line. Dude, it's good that that she misses him, but. Mm, mm. Jay, so, what's your question? So here's what I was going to say. We we do tend to generally read comics that we like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did give Mega Man a shot last week, mm-hmm. and I didn't. It is absolutely not for me. Right. Um, didn't love Mother Panic, but I can recognize that there is something there for somebody. What's a comic that you think is just bad that you that you've read? Because like even Zombie Tramp, which I personally don't respect and don't love the concept of or the way it sells itself. I read an issue of it because I was curious and it was not a bad comic. It was just something that doesn't appeal to me at all, but from a craft standpoint and from kind of an imagination standpoint, I would be hard pressed like 
take away all the weird sexism and, and grossness that goes along with a book like that, I would probably give it a six. Well, and that's, I guess I, I struggle to think of a particular issue, but for me, the line is drawn, to me, books I would give a one to are books that don't seem like they believe in themselves. Like books okay. that are put out because a company was like, we need to make money on this and you can make money on this. So like Zombie Tramp is a good example of a guy wrote, originally he wrote and drew this book. Yeah. It's a book that like Savage Dragon is, has taken a really similarly weird change in tone lately. But it's like a, it's a book that a guy enjoys making. Yeah. So like I can't unsee the fact that even though it's not for me, I think that other people are enjoying it. The things that really feel like bad books to me are books that don't I can't think of an audience for and it doesn't feel like the creators want to be making it. And that's an assumption that I have to be making. Right. Which I mean immediately makes that a fallacy. But yeah, it's you know, I'm trying to think like Marvel books probably come the closest to it and some DC things. Like the stuff that, that the best term you can use for them, getting them on the stands is churn. Yeah, or like a word that I thought of today for the first time in a decade, which is shill. Just like, <laughs> it's it's just like... It, books yeah. made by charlatans is what you're saying. <laughs> oh man, a customer left the store today and I said, what did I say? I said, thanks for coming to the Django's soul-crushing shill factory. <laughs> and, uh, it was, I wish Justin had heard it. Um, it was good. He will now on this yeah. podcast. Makes sense. So you hear, heard it here first, folks. Uh, Jeff's five is a one. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty true. It's pretty true. I keep thinking about needing to like rescale my my scales because like I don't, I don't, I don't like. I work very hard to not just write anybody or anything off. Dude, somebody somebody wrote, penciled, inked, colored, that's time. laid out, lettered, printed. edited, printed, and delivered a comic book. That's worth half. That like that's half a score right there. Yeah. You 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 get a five. Yeah. I wish I could remember. I know I gave at least one one oh, yeah. to something in the course of these podcasts, you, you and I don't, rem- I don't remember what it was. Well, we're so spoiled also. Like, I can, I can leave a stack of books for the week on my table at my house, and there will be some books I, I think are probably not very good books in that stack. But, like, any one of my six roommates who are very different can sit down and... And they'll be like, this, this was good. And I'll be like, oh, um, I have other good books in my room. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, I liked this one. And you're like, oh, like, like yeah. we're spoiled because we get to read anything that's great. You know, we don't have to work to find those things. But, like, I bet we all really loved some shit five or six or ten or fifteen years ago. Are we ago experts we, or are we jaded? We're definitely jaded. But <laughs> we've got to work hard to not be jaded. Listen, are we buckshotting too? Are we like? I, do, are we out pretty, of time? We've gone pretty hard uh, in the pain. I don't, I don't know a lot what. Books. Do you guys want a buckshot? I've, I mean, I got, I got can... two minutes. If you, I got a minute and a half. I, I, got a I don't. And a half. I don't even think we have to officially buckshot it. We'll just let's just like, or we can officially. I don't care. I'm gonna officially do it just okay. because I will talk that? longer than you guys if I'm allowed to because it's a problem I have. So I'm doing this mostly for me. I'm okay. gonna try to beat the buckshot. Okay. Yeah, I got three books to talk about, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you hit stop before that alarm. Okay, do it. Don't show me what it is. We're all trying to get this. We don't want to hear the alarm. All right, go. (laughs) Uh, Walking Dead number one seventy six. This is this has a new community, and it's the second happy ending in a row for Walking Dead. Michonne finds her daughter. Um, Smoketown number six. I thought this was a one shot when number one came out. 
every single issue has felt like a one-shot. This one's no different, but it started heavily tying in its gross murder, uh, domestic abuse, cop stuff. And I'm, I'm sure I've talked about it almost every issue of this. It's excellent and from a company that I wouldn't expect it from. Batman White Knight, number five. This issue felt less like a middle issue than the last one, which was a middle issue. Uh, there are some cool things that happen in here. You should be reading it. You should really be reading it. Batman is a dick, and his dad was buddies with Nazis. And uh, yeah, yeah, his dad and Mister Freeze were buddies with Nazis. Uh, and and Harley Quinn uses Mad Hatter and Clayface to control Poison Ivy in a really cool way to find a new secret room that Batman didn't even know about in Wayne Manor. The end. Cool. Yeah. Let's uh, just look. Yeah, I mean, that's... Is that Enya? It's or, not, but it sort of sounds away, like it. Yeah. Away, I think Orinoco Flow. It sounds like Orinoco Flow. Yeah. Um, a lot of people I know hate Enya. I love Enya. What are you, just Walking Dead, a solid seven and a half. Um, I'm gonna give, I mean, not enough death, obviously. It's a Walking um, Dead with no death, so... Smoketown, I'm going to give... God, I'm gonna give Smoketown a seven, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give Smoketown an eight, and I'm gonna give the series an eight and a half so far. I cannot wait for this paperback to come out because I, this is a book that truly every I, single issue that has come out, Django has been like, "You guys, this book yeah. is good." Like, yeah, he doesn't step aside and say like, "You guys, this on a Tuesday morning." How I many do we order? Two. Yeah, one for Django, <laughs> one for Tom. It never even hits the stands, no. and it's it's fabulous. Uh, I'm gonna be really embarrassed when you guys read it and just say, "Oh yeah, <laughs> this is this is Django shit." Um, yeah, well, I think what we've basically just covered is that we don't say it's shit when we group it in with a person's interest. <laughs> no, you just group it in with somebody's name. Django and you... garbage. <laughs> uh, and Batman White Knight. I'm gonna give that a seven and a half. I'm. I think a little consolidation would have done well for this series. I, it it could be over for me unless he surprises us in the next three issues. This 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 is enough. Jeff, go. I agree with Batman White Knight for you. Uh, um, except for I do think a bigger payoff is coming. I'm excited for that. But I do think that this was very much a mi- like a middle issue. It, it's an eight-issue series. I think it could have been six. Some important things happen with this. Not that much. Basically, this issue was Gordon deciding Batman is a nuisance. Yeah. Um, I read Archer and Arms. Well, I read Armstrong in the Vault of Spirits number one by Fred Van Lente, um, and it, basically halfway through it, I remembered that we talked about a similar Valiant one is shot ish like a year ago on the podcast, and I, I felt the same about it. I I think that all of these characters are interesting. I think the world is interesting. I don't think it's written super perfectly, but every time I read a Valiant book, it makes me more interested in the universe than I was before it. So that's a successful thing. I think if I read five more, I would probably be balls deep in Valiant Universe. Rogue and Gambit number two by Kelly Thompson and uh, Pere Perez. Um, Really like this book. Really like this book. Closest any comic book has ever felt like the animated X-Men series to me ever. Um, But it also really has the success of like a romance book. It's like two quarreling lovers who love each other, who want to be together, but have all this baggage. So it's an X-Men book and a romance book. And then Amazing Spider-Man 795. We get two pages of Norman Osborn and the Carnage symbiote at the back. (laughs) Carnage, boys! Love it. Uh, don't care about anything else Dan Slott does with this book, but he's been putting one or two pages of Spider-Man and Carnage, or Norman and Carnage at the end, and it's fantastic. Cannot wait for that. Love it. Where's that Orinoco flow? Yeah. Good one, dude. 
Um, I give Batman White Knight a 7.5. I, I, the Poison Ivy Room thing was awesome. So I, cool. I, I don't understand how he has so many new ideas about Batman that yeah. he's using effortlessly. He's just throwing them away, like using characters in ways that haven't been done. So I, I do think it's slowed down. I think it's going to be amazing at the end. I think we're just sort of in the middle. Um, Archer and Armstrong, Vault of Spirits. This book literally made me stop halfway through, go buy a bottle of wine at my house and come back to finish it. We learned that Armstrong uh, invented wine. I give that one a six. <laughs> Rogan Gambit number two, I would give uh, an eight. And Amazing Spider-Man, I would give the whole issue a 5.5 and the final three pages a nine. Hmm. All right. Wow. Uh, can I say one thing that yeah. I think you'll probably agree with me yeah. on in, in the, the Batman White Knight? Is it um, that last panel on that page? There, there are two... Th- yeah, <laughs> so... They break into the, the Wayne Manor, and Bruce is Batman in the in the Batcave, and he comes up dressed as Bruce Wayne in his night clothes, which happened to be like a pink fuzzy bathrobe, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. I like and that. then uh, he goes outside, and Nightwing is dressed as a cop, and he calls him Bruce, and then like he has to, he's like, did they, did they did find they, the Batcat? Bat and then <laughs> Bullock rolls up. And, like, he has to, like, I don't know. It was, it was just a really well-written page where he's got a secret identity. And these cops are morons if they haven't figured it out, really. But they're still hiding it. And He could yeah. write a better Batman story than a lot of our mediocre Batman writers. Like, he can write alone a Batman story. But the fact that he also always then draws it is yeah. the best part. Like, he his writing for Batman is solid enough that even if he wasn't a great writer, I think or artist, they could hire him as a writer. But yeah. then he also was one of the most beautiful artists out there. One question. Yeah. On that page, his robe's open. He's bare-chested. Uh-oh. Poison Ivy grabs him, drags him outside, and he tears his robe off, Uh-oh. and he's got the bat suit under it. So either he's got a very realistic flesh suit over his bat suit, or there's some artwork inconsistencies there. Boy, howdy, that is absolutely what we in the business refer to as a continuity issue. Error. Roman, go. So you got oh, a minute I, and a half. I don't, I don't want to go. Yeah, I just wanted to say you're Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, those last few pages with Carnage, because Norman thinks he can control Carnage, and Carnage starts controlling him, and Norman's yeah. like, wait a minute. Oh, that was great. But also his whole thing is that he's questing for his insanity back. So, of course... Yeah. His insanity is going to come back, but it's not going to be sane. He's not going to be able to control it. So yeah. I, I just think that's a great Yeah, it's, it's it's a great... Oh, I love where that's seconds, going. 90 seconds, all yourself. 90 over. seconds. 90 seconds. That's a minute and a half, buddy. Oh, a minute and a half. Oh, math. Um, Young Monsters in Love, 80-page giant by all sorts of people. Um, there's like eight stories in here. This was pretty good. Good anthology. Uh, my favorite stories were the... Uh, Frankenstein and Lady Frankenstein story because it was so touching. There's all sorts of love in here. Love gone good, love gone bad, love amazingly. There's a Monsieur Mala and the Brain love story in here, and it's <laughs> so touching. It's it's amazingly touching because and it's you know it's about a giant talking ape and a brain and a robot body and they're in love. <laughs> I've never heard about those characters. They're old Doom Patrol characters, and there's a great Swamp Thing story in here too by Mark Russell, um, which is fantastic. Those two stories alone are worth picking this up. Um, Infinity Countdown number one, Adam Warlock by Gary Dugan, Mike Allred, and Laura Allred. 
this was a fun read. If it leads into the Infinity Countdown crossover coming up, introduces Adam Warlock, reintroduces Adam Warlock. I wasn't even going to read this, but I picked it up because the All Reds, and there's all sorts of great Marvel references in the artwork. I mean, Jack Kirby's desk is even in here, mm. drawing desk. Um, Meta. It's just a lot of fun. Zorn's helmet is here. It took me a minute to rec- recognize that. And it reintroduces Adam Warlock and gets into this whole thing about time travel and Kang and Rama Tut. Cool Marvel deep dive. Yeah. I really like this. Young Monsters in Love, I will give a seven, except the Mark Russell story, I will give a nine and a half. Um, well done, Mark. Good job, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, was, I didn't realize Old he was... fan of the show, guest yep. on the show. Mark yep. Russell loves Papcast. I almost brought him up earlier because there was another comic that I kept telling you idiots to read. We'll bring him up another time. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was called The Flintstones. Enter stage left. <laughs> or right. I don't know. Well, what do you do the Infinity Countdown, buddy? Uh, Infinity Countdown, I will give that a six. It would probably be a four except for the Allred's art. Yeah, so I don't like cosmic stuff at all. I like cosmic Maybe, stuff. Have we talked about that on this? You like to be uh, able to punch a thing. Yeah. You want to get that motherfucker's chin up. Dude, if I can't burn a dude <laughs> if I can't with fire. Take a motherfucker down with a torch. Uh, but I flipped through that, and that page that Roman was talking about with all the Marvel Easter eggs and Zorn's helmet and uh, Kirby's desk and everything, that, that, that made me want to read it and everything like that. Yeah, the per- the very first page actually. There's a shout out here. Alred put in. That's a drawing from like a Kirby art portfolio from the '70s where he's got these like space alien Lions. pilots. Yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's so cool. Uh, I found a. I, I saw a picture today. It's on the cover of, of the Eternals number one. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Oh. So I found a picture of Kirby drawing today. Yeah. I put it up on our Instagram for mm. uh, Moonbase, I think, and. Uh, God, he's he's just drawing like this the weirdest, most intricate thing. He's got his shirt off in his his little tiny studio. He's the coolest there was, dude. Yeah, nobody was just doing it because they liked doing it, like Kirby. Who who? I can't remember the story, but I was listening to maybe maybe it was I Fanboy and somebody was talking about, or maybe it was you, Jeff. Maybe it was on this this very podcast. Somebody going to Kirby's house and and saying, "Hey, we want to." We like comics, and and he just brought these two little kids in and showed them like the art that he was doing, and let them hang out and just watch him draw. Hmm. No, my dad had lunch with him. My, but also like in that era, man, my dad would go to art shows all the time, and people were just like, "Hey, come over to Forrest Ackerman!" Like all these amazing like science fiction and horror people from the time. Like, I don't know, I would have loved to have been a comic fan, you know. 30 or 40 years ago because there was no barrier between the the consumer and the producer. Very little pretense. There. Yeah, and I just, like, I don't know. Like, what would, who could be a Kirby type today and what would Kirby be like today and, 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 and what does that take? And it, you just, like, there was no celebrity in it. Right. That, that it, like, and now... Just a workhorse. We just turn anybody for one, like, you know, Mark Russell's great, but we turn Mark Russell into a celebrity based on one piece of work. Right. You know, and, and he could do sort of whatever he wants based on that. And then you got somebody like Jack Kirby who was never a celebrity his entire life and he worked harder than anybody. So I, it's it's interesting. Um, time change, mediums change, and true artistry is probably a thing that is going to be harder and harder to access. 
Do you think that Braden makes other Bradens, and that's why his name is Braden Smith? Um, I want to talk about whatever the fuck you just said. Because <laughs> he's like a smith, like a smithy? Yeah. Okay, I get yeah. it. Braden Smith. Okay. Like we're all becoming Bradens. We know he's a wordsmith, but I think he might be like... A, a Sandy Brado Smith? Hammering us on his anvil. <laughs> I love Braden. I love comics. I love Kirby. I love you boys. I give this podcast an eight... I'm do, Jeff, do we have, and I can't help but assign grades. Do we have time for a really geeky moment? Sure. A, a really, I've got a, I've got sure, a we already started ending it. Also. But. Okay. Avengers No Syringers, number 679, and I'm mm. not even going to talk about the issue. There's stuff going on with the Grandmaster, all that. It's, it's, mm. it's getting better. Wait, how's Jarvis? Uh, he's still, Jay, Jay still, he's okay? still barely hanging on to life. All They're right. trying to figure it out. Cool. But the coolest thing for me in this issue, you know I love the tech stuff in the back of the issues. Um, Mark Wade here answers the question, can Metal Master control Thor's hammer? Because he did it in a previous issue, and people apparently wrote in going, how can he do that? Mark Wade, who has an advanced degree in physics, I think, answers it. Okay, the science of Thor's magic hammer, taken apart from all the research I did for that Thor-Hulk crossover I did a few years back with Walter Simonson, Uru Metal was, for was forged in a fiery pits by dwarven blacksmiths. Based upon its observed properties, that is, a nigh indestructible cannot be lifted by anyone except if they be as worthy as Thor and always return to his hand. There can be only one explanation. Uru metal must actually be an exotic form of matter that can be induced to emit gravitons. Gravitons are particles, theoretically predicted, but unlike the Higgs boson, still not experimentally confirmed, that mediate the force of gravity, just like photons transmit the force of electromagnetism. While we are unable to forge Uru metal on Earth, the dwarven blacksmiths, being as, a, as advanced compared to us as we are to our early ancestors, could craft a hammer whose properties seem like magic to us. Being able to change the rate of emission and absorption of gravitons is equivalent to being able to change an object's mass and even shape it. If a person whom the hammer has determined to be unworthy attempts to lift the hammer, thanks to Odin's enchantment, the Uru metal will dramatically increase the rate of graviton emission. This will result in an exp exponential increase in the gravitational attraction between the Earth and the hammer, such that it cannot be budged when Thor grips Mjolnir's hammer handle. The identity recognition enhancement, if you will, causes the graviton emission to seize, and the hammer resumes its normal weight. Now, oh, here's, <laughs> here's where this applies to Metal Master. Changing an object's mass via graviton emission or absorption will alter not only its gravitational attraction, but will also affect its inertia, that is, its resistance to change in its motion, and I think that's where we can cheat with Metal Master. Inertia already affects Mjolnir to some extent. Thor or no Thor, it holds it down when not held by the worthy. But it's not absolute. If inertia were immutable around the hammer, then it would be forever anchored to a specific spot in space, and Earth's rotation and movement would leave it behind lickety-split, forever hover in, in a fixed point in space. Mm. So Metal Master can't lift the hammer, but I submit that if his real power is control over gravitons, um, blah, 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 blah. He can't lift or necessarily manipulate Thor's hammer, but he can screw with its inertia, stopping us dead in relation to Earth's rotation. This would give the illusion of the hammer bowling someone over. It's not the hammer moving, it's the Earth. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> good. That's good, Mark Wade. I mean, it, it's still a, month, a, a metal before all things, but yeah. Our, I used to think about that as a kid, like, am, is the Earth moving or am I mm. not moving and moving the earth, you know, like what's... Like you're on a conveyor belt. Yeah. Um, so 
before we get out of here, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got a, I've got a haiku to send us off. So oh, I like not getting out of here right away. Yeah. Okay. Cool. As long I as like, we're not getting out of here right away. In like, that case, we'll do half a beer. I like the way you guys look. I like you guys. <laughs> um, so I've got a real soft little haiku. All right, haiku boys. too. <laughs> I really like that that joke is still around. <laughs> I haiku too. <laughs> haiku very much. <laughs> So this is mine for Swamp Thing Winter Annual Special. Get ready. Let's get somber. Wine tones. Somber. A monster inside. Silent to others, but we never walk alone. I like it. Damn straight you do. Uh, Do you want to stall for a minute and I'll write a haiku? Yeah, let me hang out here. Um... (laughs) I, I, I need a pen. Roman, that was the cover to Eternals. That's that same thing, right? Uh, it's close, but Let's that... Give it a side That by. thing there, it's a side view looking like in the window of the spacecraft. Yeah. And this on the Eternals number one from the 70s, that's a it's kind of a front view of the that. same, maybe the same space alien. It looks like... Because I remember oh, seeing yeah. the ads for that, that art Let's portfolio. Give it a side Let's give it a side by. Side by side. Which, which interestingly looks a little reminiscent of Geiger's alien drawing drawings for like that wasn't used in the movie Alien, but some of his uh, preliminary Dude, work. That's ex- that's absolutely the exact same thing. You think so? Absolutely. Look at that. Django, try and tell me that's not the exact same thing, drawn from a different angle. Like the the mouth, the nose, the flaps. Oh, on yeah, the yeah. I, yeah, I think it could be the same character. It's just not the yeah. same. I thought you were saying it was the same, the same perspective drawing. Good. Oh, God, no. Dude. Good catch, though. Yeah. Oh, that was hanging on our wall forever is the only reason. Oh, Until, it? like, a week ago. Is it still there now, even, maybe? Wait, that was? Eternals, Eternals number, number one? one? Yeah, it was in the store, like, a week ago. Oh. Down in the case? I believe so. Yeah. You know. You read the Eternals, Roman? I read the entire series. And yeah. the Grant, no, Neil Gaiman no. series. Oh, that's coming back into print. Was that good? Is it? It was good, but now I can't remember much about it. I remember liking it. So the Eternals are different than Celestials. Yeah, the Eternals are were created by the Celestials. What are what's their deal? The Celestials are the giant space gods in the armor that come to planets and yeah. They... Okay, actually, question. Let's rewind it. Let's talk about this that that book, the Infinity Countdown one. Did you get a feel oh. for what the overall direction of that story is? Like, what happened? You yeah, read um, it, but I didn't. Well, this is, is there, the, the prelude to a big thing that's happening. Yeah, to in, to the next infinity, yada 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 that Thanos is up to with yeah, the Infinity Gauntlet the and the stones. So yeah, War, Adam Warlock is brought back to life by Kang because Kang wants to prevent whoever we can assume it's Thanos, but we they never say that um, whoever from accumulating the stones again and taking over the universe or destroying the universe or whatever. Apparently, Warlock and Kang have failed a bunch of times already. Kang brings them back yet again, because he controls time, to send him back in time to find Kang's, like, past self and stop, trade a couple Infinity Stones, to, and then Warlock will have one and Kang will have one, and they'll keep them from ever being brought together with the other stones. Huh. And that'll prevent whatever disasters looming that Kang's already seen. <coughs> Roman, do you can any way you can put that into a haiku really quickly for me? Begin. No, because I still don't. 
I still don't know how to do tycoons. Five, five, seven, five. All right, uh, Django. Right? <clears throat> let's get a let's get a, a farewell, and then we're gonna end on your sultry tones. Oh. I'm Jeff, and I never tire from looking at your two faces. I feel like I'm just piggybacking on you now. If Roman can't write one. I have tried to sign off this podcast two times now. <laughs> I'm Roman, and I don't have a haiku for you. This is a haiku about Batman number 40. I don't want to do it now. I'm trying to go. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. He wrote a good haiku, and I was just trying to be one of the cool kids, and then Roman didn't want to be one of the well, cool kids with us, and that's because I'm that's because I'm cheap. that's because I'm afraid I'll, I'll mess it up, and then I'll be embarrassed. Well, I also well, you can do really, a really really like the bit of us <laughs> spending time for you to write one, and then deciding not to, which I have immediately created two products in my mind where you have one and don't have one, and I I think the joke of you not having one is better. <laughs> it seems like you'd be a good limerick guy. Oh, Django is... <laughs> there once was a man from Gotham. It's, the problem is that they sound enough like Chance. We don't let him do limericks. <laughs> chance. Limerick, limericks are just dirty chance. <laughs> dirty chance? Limericks are just dirty chance? I'm go. Django, and I'm a dirty oh, champ. And I'm Jeff, and I'm a champ and a half. And I'm Roman, and I, I went to school with dirty chance. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. <laughs> In the big rock empty mountains, never